welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. To More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and I have to tell you, I'm asked all the time, Jim, how should I incorporate real estate or should I incorporate real estate into my financial plan and especially my retirement plan? And I have always been a big believer that real estate is a fundamental asset class that people should be invested in. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do that. In many ways, it's an alternative investment class. And what a lot of people don't realize is that in, in, in a lot of situations, real estate is not as correlated to the U.S. stock market, as you might think. And with current stock and bond prices being so high, which I've talked a lot about on this radio program, you know, real estate is an alternative asset class that can benefit a lot from a low interest rate environment. But there are different ways to own real estate, of course, both passively and actively where you hold it on your own. You know, real estate can generate short and long-term income for investors, especially as you look for income generation during those years leading up to retirement and, and more importantly, through retirement. So it can include everything from single and multifamily rental properties. You could own commercial space, publicly traded real estate investment trusts. You could be a passive investor that way. But how do you figure out what is right for you? What are some of the pitfalls? of real estate investing. So today, we're going to cover some of the questions as we look at kind of a real estate investing 101. And I'm thrilled and honored to have with us on the program, Brian Evans. Evans is the owner. He's a CPA in Seattle, Washington. He's the owner of Bauer Evans CPAs. He's also the owner of Madrona Financial Services, where he serves as their chief investment officer and lead financial planner. He's an expert in real estate investing uh, from right up there in Seattle, and that's actually how I met Brian, was listening to one of his lectures on real estate investing. He hosts a weekly radio show in Seattle. He's a nationally published author. Uh, He's a national coach to investment advisors around the country, and he's been a regular guest on CNBC's Closing Bell and Fox Business. So good morning, Brian. Welcome to More Living. It's so great to have you with us. Good morning. Uh, glad to be here. It's great to have you. We were just talking off air there that we live in the two places where you can. College football is so big in Knoxville, Tennessee, with the University of Tennessee. And Seattle, of course, is the other place that you can go to a game at the college stadium by water. Isn't that right with Puget Sound and the University of Washington? Actually, Lake Washington is the Lake Washington. point there. Yeah, and Puget Sound, uh, of course, is just on the other side of Seattle there. Okay, well, I got that a little bit mixed up. Now, you're a a CPA by trade. What led you, Brian, to move from, well, I guess you're still a CPA, but what led you into also being a financial advisor? Because, you know, I found a lot of CPAs don't like doing, 
you know, in being a financial advisor and a financial planner? Yeah, well, I was, you know, I am partner of a CPA firm and, and I have about 20 employees on, on that firm. Now, I haven't had a billable hour in 10 years. I, I know how to do it. I just refuse to do it um, and, and let my employees. But uh, I, I was taken by clients coming to me all the time saying, uh, hey, can you uh, give me some advice on my investments? And I'd say, well, no, I can't. I'm not licensed to do that. Oh, well, could you recommend somebody that can? I'm like, well, no, I don't. I don't. I never met any investment advisor that I would trust with these questions because they don't understand taxes and estate planning and and real estate and business and all this other stuff. And so I was really frustrated. I knew the answers, but couldn't give them because I wasn't licensed. And stockbrokers I knew were licensed to give answers, but they didn't have the answers to give. So it was kind of frustrating. So finally, I had a, a client come to me and. And he was selling his business. He says, when we get uh, our proceeds, we want you to invest the money. I said, no can do. I, I, I'm not licensed. He just looked me in the eyes and said, Brian, get licensed. So I did. And now that's what you're, where, where you really focus your time and energy, right? Yeah. Now, uh, you know, I, I thought I was going to do that part-time, but within a few years, I realized uh, this is going to be a full-time job for me. So I got rid of all my billable hours on the CPA firm side, gave it to my managers. And uh, long story short, now I manage about uh, close to half a billion dollars. Through your financial planning firm, Madrona Financial Services. Let, let's, uh, before yes. we get too much into real estate, Brian, I do want to talk to you about tax planning because it's to me, you know, taxes are the number one expense we'll ever have in our lifetimes, at least for most of us. And uh, you know, most there, there's a huge difference. You know, we just passed the extension deadline. Many people just filed their income tax returns with the deadline of October 15th for those that filed extensions. So it's fresh on a lot of people's minds, especially CPAs minds. But there's really quite a big difference in tax preparation and what most CPAs do versus tax planning. Can you just hit briefly on the difference and why tax planning is so important in this world we live in moving forward. Right, yeah, I mean, most CPAs are uh, compliance people. What they're gonna do is get the tax return right. Um, it's it's about complying with the laws and getting the forms in on time and, and correctly filled out, gathering that information, uh, balancing the books, that kind of thing. That's, that's a compliance job and that's a backward looking uh, approach, and that was one of the big frustrations for me being a CPA. It's, it's like, well, everything I do gets shredded in six years because all I'm doing is going backwards and grabbing data and putting it on forms, really. And that's that's what a lot of the job is. It's not a forward-looking type type of engagement. And also, most CPAs are unaware of the products because they are not investment uh, advisors. They're unaware of the products, the differences, how to use them, when they can be used. So a financial planner, uh, essentially the biggest difference between the two, I'd say, is a financial planner is supposed to be looking forward and a CPA is typically looking backwards. And so tax planning, from my vantage point, can be much more powerful because you're trying to somewhat control what numbers are going to show up on the tax return in the first place, right? As opposed to things that have already That's happened, right. you really can't do anything about it. Well, that was the other frustration I had. Uh, uh, boy, you really make me go back in time as to why I, this is great. Yeah, I would, I would, you know, the people come to me and, hey, I did this. How did I do? I'm like, oh, uh, 
I wish you hadn't done that. Uh, and, and, you know, because it was always backwards, I couldn't do anything about it. And I was just looking at last year's data. And so now I get to look at the rest of their life's data and even uh, four generations. So when we're doing financial planning, that's integrating tax planning to it. Now I get to look at, like I said, the, the years upcoming and then even project things. I'm, you know, I just wrote an article for Kiplinger where I talked about the history of tax rates and, and estate tax rates and what they may be looking like in the years to come. Because I've never asked, I've never gotten anybody that, that thinks that tax rates are going down 10, 15 years from now. Everybody I know thinks they're going up. So if we know that today, maybe we should take some action to help help ourselves out. Well, and I do want to get into real estate, but let's just talk about that for a quick second, because you're right. And people are very, when we see what the government is spending in stimulus to help us through the pandemic, I mean, a lot of the people I meet with in my office in East Tennessee, Brian, are worried about the future of income taxes. I talk a lot, Brian, about that sweet spot between retirement age and age 72, of course, 72 is when you have to start taking those taxable, taxable distributions from your retirement accounts. So a lot of retirees have enormous control of their income taxes, you know, in terms of how they end up reporting income and how they invest their money and how that impacts their tax return. How, can you just touch a little bit on the importance of planning effectively in that time of life, especially with the current environment we're in when you talk about the future of where income tax rates may go. Right. I mean, I, of course, uh, that that's where you have opportunity to do something about it. You have more control, uh, like you just said, over uh, how you take income uh, and, and so forth. But, yeah, if we look back at the history of taxes, uh, whenever we've had a big spend in the past, so we just had a big spend due to COVID and, and all of this. Uh, we had a big spend after World uh, from World War One. The top marginal rate went from 8% to over 70 Then we had to raise money during the Great Depression. It went back up to 70 after coming back to 25%, went up to 70. World War One, it got as high as 94% and stayed at the 90% bracket, the top bracket for decades. Uh, the estate tax rate was uh, just kind of right behind it. So here we just had another big spend, and so it would not be out of the realm of possibilities where we see uh, really high tax brackets sometime in the future and estate tax brackets. So there's there's a couple taxations that, that we can be worried about. But yeah, uh, after you know retirement, before uh, required minimum distributions kick in, there's a real opportunity to take advantage of the lower income tax brackets for sure uh, as part of this. And there's a lot of things we can do, whether it's through real estate, or through uh, fixed index universal life or premium finance or, or many different kinds of products available where we can take advantage of the tax laws that are that are out there and create uh, some streams of income or, or uh, gains that are income tax-free. Absolutely. And so we really want to get into the real estate investing. And I want to talk about how important you think real estate is as an asset class, especially in our current times where basically stock market valuations are at least pretty high, if not very high, depending on how you measure it. And bond valuations are the highest they've ever been in history. And then we'll get into the different ways. You know, should people invest locally and, and actively manage that? Are they better off in passive investing? What if you own 
something and you're, you don't want to be a landlord anymore. How can you, in a tax-efficient, diversified way, get out of that investment? So we've got a lot to cover with our special guest, Brian Evans. Stay tuned. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865-862-6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and we're visiting this morning with Brian Evans. Brian, I met him a couple of years ago. He's really one of the top experts in the country with really some unique opportunities with real estate investing. And so we're talking about how do you get into real estate investing? Or if you're in real estate investing, maybe you don't want to be in it. How do you get out? So we're going to visit with Brian a little bit more. Uh, in the first segment, Brian is also a CPA and has quite a tax background. So we talked about some of the importance of tax planning. And when it comes to investing in real estate, there are a lot of tax opportunities, too. So that's going to be very pertinent in this conversation today. Uh, Brian, so I do have asked pe- people ask me a lot you know, Jim, I want to start buying real estate. And should I buy it locally and manage it myself? Or should I just, you know, passively own it in a real estate trust? I mean, what are the different ways, Brian, from your perspective that people can invest in real estate? And what are some pitfalls that maybe people aren't thinking about? Yeah, uh, there's different ways you can invest in real estate. Obviously, uh, we're talking about investment real estate now as opposed to your principal residence. But for investment real estate, I mean, the thing I like to remind people, it is a business. So you do have to run it like a business, meaning you have to understand real estate well enough to know when to buy it, where to buy it, how to buy it, how to finance it, uh, how to be a proper landlord, how you know what are you going to do to fix it up and so forth. So if you're going to be active landlord it is a business and certainly if you're 35 years old and handy and you're thinking about buying some rentals boy i i think that's a great idea but if you're 75 years old and handy and looking to buy some rentals i don't think it's a great idea so you know also depends upon your age but there is different ways to buy it you can buy it through uh just you know be a landlord yourself uh i Early on, when I bought rental houses uh, way back when, before I decided that wasn't for me, uh, I went in with other people. I used other people's money. You can do publicly traded real estate investment trusts. You can do private non-traded REITs. You can do uh, something called the Delaware Statutory Trust, which we'll talk about later. But there's all different ways you can get into real estate. So one of the things, and you kind of brought it up, Brian, when people ask me about that, especially if they don't have a background in it, let's say they're getting close to retirement or maybe they're in their 50s, is you mentioned it's like running a business. So there's really quite an, from my perspective, there's quite an investment of time that somebody would need to take to become an expert in that area. 
I mean, what does they say? It takes a thousand hours at least to really learn a market and become an expert on something. So that's one of the things that I like to point to if somebody doesn't have experience, is that if they really want to do that, even the 35-year-old that you mentioned that, that is a great handy person, they still got to invest quite a bit of time, I would think, in learning the local market and what you said, how to buy, where to buy, how to finance it, you know, when to get in, when to get out, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, you know, personally, I mentioned I bought some rentals and I realized, you know, I, I'm out here uh, doing, you know, $12 an hour work on this rental. I could be back, uh, you know, billing my time out at my CPA firm at 100 bucks an hour or whatever it was at the time. And I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb, Brian. I, I just did the math and said, I, I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, but uh, and, and certainly it's it. Some of it has to do with with just kind of dumb luck. Uh Anybody can make money in the Seattle real estate market where, you know, 40 years ago you buy a house for, you know, $30,000 and now that same house might be 900000 if it's in Seattle or Bellevue. And so it's pretty hard to, to mess that up in our area because of the um, immense appreciation we've had. So people have been very successful at real estate. What they have found often, though, is they're getting to an age where, boy, I knew how to get in. I knew how to buy it. I knew how to fix it. But I'm not sure how to get out without getting killed on taxes. Well, and we're going to get into that. Before we do, I do want to mention, you know, we turn on the TV and there's all these shows, and, and especially on HGTV, but they're really everywhere with people. They'll get in and they'll, you know, they'll update a home and then they'll flip it. And it looks very alluring. Mm-hmm. What, what is your opinion on do-it-yourself flipping? Is that a good way to get into real estate or what are some pitfalls there? You know, it's interesting. I've watched some of those shows and done the math and said, no, wait a second. They just spent like six months of their life or three months or whatever it was getting this together. And they show that they made 140000 profit, but they spent 110 to get there. I'm thinking, oh, that wasn't much of a profit in the end. So, you know, maybe maybe you, you, you're such that you can do that, but... If you look at the math on some of those shows, their their rate of return to me doesn't appear to be all that good, given the amount of time and expertise, like you said, a thousand hours to get good at it and understand it at all, and and the the wear and tear that that that, that takes you know to get to that point. I didn't see that. <laughs> it sure wasn't that alluring to me. You know, it looked nice, but I didn't see where they were making huge profits. Brian, let's do transition into passive investing because this is where, you know, a lot of people have had a lot of success. And particularly those, you know, being a landlord can be a real challenge. And and you kind of mentioned it earlier as people get older, sometimes they just don't want to be a landlord anymore. Uh, Can you talk about first some of the challenges of being a landlord uh, that people may not be aware of or maybe be experiencing and are trying to figure out you know, how can I handle this or how can I get out of this without the big tax implication? I guess I've asked a couple of questions there, but could you kind of get us into a little bit what the mindset of a landlord that might be listening today? Yeah, I'll just give an example. You know, I had this guy call uh, off of my radio show and, and he says, well, here's my situation. I bought an apartment building 30 years ago and when I bought it, it was 40 years old. And uh, I, I like being a landlord, but my wife and I are 80, and uh, you know now that apartment building 70 years old, and it's got a lot of maintenance and deferred maintenance. 
And every time I get ahead, I got to put it back into the place. And I said, what's your cash flow? He said, well, about 5,000 a month. I said, well, how much equity do you have? I have 4 million. I said, well, that's not a very good return right there. And he says, that's, that's exactly right. He says, I want to sell it. And I want to, I want to buy another property and not pay the tax. But then I got to go out and find, uh, in this case, a $7 million property because he had a $3 million loan on it. And then I got to go to the bank and uh, ask the banker for a 30-year loan <laughs> on my new purchase. I'm 80 years old. <laughs> Who's going to give me that loan? And, you know, on and on and on. All, all these problems that he had and kind of encapsulates everything you're talking about there, Jim. Is that the maintenance was getting to him because he was older and all that stuff. So it was a tough situation for him. Brian, when somebody's a landlord, what type of a yield should they expect on their cash flow? You know, if somebody has a million-dollar property, you know, to use mm-hmm. round numbers, what sort of a cash flow should they really be yielding for that to be an effective investment? Because a lot of people come into my office and they're not getting a great cash flow. Uh, virtually nobody's getting a good cash flow where I live. Uh, the typical cash flow after expenses is between zero and three percent here, uh, because of of the increase in underlying value um, of the properties. But they didn't, you know, if your property value doubled or tripled, you sure couldn't double or triple the rents you're charging for someone to to rent it. So it didn't keep up. So right now it's it's really trailing. It's becoming more like a bond yield, which is really low. And so it's not really helping them in their retirement. So that's another issue. So generally, uh, and it depends on the part of the country you're in, the type of real estate, you know, you might be looking at uh, 7-8% uh, that you're trying to achieve. You can't find those properties where I live anymore. They're more like four, and people go, boy, that's before expenses? That, that doesn't sound very good to me. I said, yeah, that, that isn't. So it, it's a real struggle right now. Uh, they call it compressed cap rates. That, that It's a real struggle for people to find good yields, but it depends on the property and where you live. Yeah, so what I'm hearing there is they get into a property 10, 15 years ago, and the properties exploded in value, but they weren't able to raise the rents at any kind of a, an appropriate rate to keep up with the value and so now their yield is really low and so for all the headaches and the overhead they're not getting the type of yield they could get in another way yeah and and, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because you know we want our underlying value to go up but here's the opportunity you can cash in on the increase and then reinvest in other parts of the country uh or other types of real estate that does have a much much better yield and not have to be a landlord. So you can kind of win on both ends by doing the transition into the, you know, in retirement, what do you want more? Do you want appreciation or do you want money in your pocket? Well, most people want more money in their pocket so they can spend it and have a nice retirement. So that's a good time to transition from the growth aspect of real estate to the cash flow aspect of real estate. Yeah, they want income in retirement. So, well, that's pretty intriguing. How do you, tr- how do you get out of a property like that and, and not have to pay the tax and then become diversified and passively invested. So we're going to get into all of that with Brian. We're going to talk about this thing called DSTs. What are those? Are, are public traded? What's the difference in a public and a private real estate trust? Uh, how, does, how can that maybe all fit into your financial plan? Uh, we're also going to have our dollars and cents segment. How might the upcoming presidential election affect the stock market? So don't go away. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College, Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at BroganFinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. Thanks for listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And we're talking about real estate investing and some of the potential and also some of the pitfalls. Uh, Brian Evans is a nationally regarded expert on real estate investing, and he's our guest this morning. He's joining us all the way from Seattle, Washington. We certainly appreciate him taking time out of his schedule, and we're going to get into, you know, how can you get out of the landlord business without paying a big tax implication and get a better yield and passively manage property and get retirement income. We're going to get into all of those great things. However, before we get back to Brian, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. How might the election affect the stock market? I can't even tell you how often I'm asked that question, both in my office, on my radio show, when I'm out and about in town. Everybody is asking that question. And so I thought, you know, to try to take the emotion out of it, it would be worthwhile to look at history. And so I went back all the way to the late 1700s, 1789, when our first election, and looked at, are there any patterns that we can follow Uh, in terms of what political party holds office and how does the stock market perform. And here's what we found out. Uh, First, we have to realize we have a divide. You know, we have multiple, you know, we have a House of Representatives. We have a Senate. So we've got the legislative branch. Then we've got the executive branch. Of course, we've got the judicial branch. But all of those things have to work together. And so what I did is I went back and looked at, okay, What if there was a Republican sweep where we had a Republican in the White House and we had a Republican Senate and a Republican Congress? What if we had a Democratic sweep? And then what if the White House was different than at least one of the bodies of Congress? So we had a divided government. And it was kind of interesting when we went back and looked at that. And in a nutshell, there's just really not any kind of strong correlation that tells us, hey, when this party holds office, either in the White House or in Congress, markets do better or worse. And so that's kind of revealing to me when we look at throughout all of history. Now, we could pick pockets of smaller periods of time, and we could get the data to say different things. And things could, could be different in one presidential term than another. But when we look at it all together, the one consistent thing is that markets rise over time. Then the second thing that we did notice is if we look at the actual years of a presidential cycle, year one, year two, year three, year four, what was interesting is that the last two years of a president's term in office did better in the stock. The stock market did better than the first two years. That was pretty consistent. 
Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that. Some of that could be taking time to implement policies or unwinding old policies. Um, could be uncertainty in the markets of what the new president's policies may look like. There are a lot of potential reasons. But what's interesting to me is that investor behavior has typically been the opposite of what you would want to see. In other words, when the markets were performing more poorly in the first two years of of a president's term, people were pouring money into the stock market and not into money market funds cash equivalents. In the last two years of the president's president's term, where the markets were doing much better, people were pouring more money into money markets and they were exiting stocks or stock funds. So investor behavior was the complete opposite of what the market actually bore. Now, you know, ultimately, these are all averages I'm talking about, and anything can happen. We know that. From my vantage point, there are other economic realities over time that typically have had a larger influence on the stock market than who's actually in office. And in our current economic client, we have a lot of challenges. We're currently in a recession as we try and recover from the effects of the pandemic. The Federal Reserve is taking dramatic steps with the economic, well, we have the economic stimulus from Congress. We also have the actions of the Federal Reserve. It's really been kind of unprecedented. So there are potentially some long-term ramifications of all of the government behavior we see, and then also just the economic reality of coming out of this pandemic. So I think we have to be careful. I think the takeaway is we don't want to, we, we want to be careful that emotion doesn't get in the way. We have to understand when, how our market investments are structured and for when they're structured and how they fit into our financial plan and how we do not need to be using our market investments in our financial plan, which namely is current short-term income. Uh, I have published a guide on this. The name of the guide is The Election, Federal Stimulus, and the Stock Market. You can get a complimentary copy of my guide if you go to my website at broganfinancial.com, click on the Resources tab at the top, and you can pull up and download a complimentary copy. Again, the guide is the election, federal stimulus, and the stock market. Go to broganfinancial.com and click on Resources. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting broganfinancial.com. I'd urge you to visit us online at broganfinancial.com. We have a lot of resources uh, in addition to our election guide. And uh, you can actually follow us. You can sign up to get our e-newsletter blast. I send it out every single week, and it basically just links different pieces of content that I've put out during the week that can help you make informed and prudent decisions to impact the quality of your life in retirement. That's really my my desire, both with the show, the classes I teach, everything I do with my career, is to help you make prudent decisions to live the type of retirement that you want to live. Now, today we're talking about real estate, and I have Brian Evans on the line with me. He's a nationally regarded expert on real estate investing, a colleague in Seattle. He's also a CPA. And let's get a little bit more into some of this passive real estate investing, Brian. You mentioned earlier that there's a way, that there are ways for people to get out if they don't want to be a landlord anymore, and they're not getting a nice cash flow net of expenses 
there are some other alternatives out there where they don't necessarily absorb the tax hit. Can you just walk us through a little bit more? Is this a 1031 exchange? Is it, you know, most most investors in real estate know they can do that with local property, but then they're still a landlord. So talk to us a little bit more about what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, it is a 1031 exchange. However, it's an exchange into passive real estate. Most people have never heard about this. They didn't know you could do that. In fact, you couldn't do it until uh, 2004 when there was a revenue ruling passed allowing for it. So in the last segment, I used my example of that 80-year-old couple that called me and they had the big apartment complex that was 70 years old. Their cash flow was, was not very good. It was about 60000 a year after expenses. And they wanted to sell, but they didn't want to have to go out and buy another property to manage, of course. Uh, they were they were they were done being a landlord. So uh, the thing that we're talking about is a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust, and that's just a fancy name for the ability now of uh, institutional investment real estate companies to go out and purchase uh, larger properties and then uh, offer them to people doing 1031 exchanges as an option for them to exchange into. So when this 80-year-old sold his apartment, he got $4 million. I think we put him into about uh, five or six different uh, DSTs. He was invested in apartment buildings and self-storage and maybe an Amazon warehouse and Walgreens, CBS pharmacy-type properties, you know, different kinds of properties, uh, typically in the Sunbelt states. But he was able to do a 1031 exchange using the Delaware Statutory Trust. It's the only way you can do it. It's the only way you can do it. You can't do a 1031 exchange into a real estate investment trust, a REIT, or a partnership, or an LLC. You can only do it using a Delaware Statutory Trust. Which really is just a legal mechanism that uses the real estate trust. Is that right? Yeah, it's just a is wrapper a good way to look for at the, that? to allow it. Yeah, it's just a wrapper uh, around a real estate investment that allows for it to be in a 1031 exchange. So my example of my guy with the four million equity there, he was able to do the exchange, have this really nice, diverse, uh, professionally managed uh, portfolio of real estate, newer real estate, no deferred maintenance, no repairs, no phone calls. His cash flow went from sixty grand a year to two hundred thousand a year, and he paid zero income tax on the exchange. And then when he and or his wife pass away in my state, then all of the gains is his many, many, he was going to have to pay a million to a million and a half in tax. All of that will evaporate permanently for his kids uh, his, uh, when, he, when they pass due to the step up in basis. So he got the, the cash flow he needed in retirement. He got to actually retire. You know, one of my articles is called, I'm a landlord. Can I ever truly retire? Everybody else gets to retire, but not a landlord until now. Now you can using a Delaware statutory trust. Well, and I want to mention uh, there is a way, and you mentioned Seattle, you know, in Washington State, but actually in Tennessee, and I don't want to get down this rabbit hole, but there are ways, there is a type of trust you can set up in Tennessee to own uh, a, a, a real estate trust like what Brian is talking about, and the tax problem for the surviving spouse also goes away completely. I know that deals with community property trust or community property uh, tax rules. And again, I don't want to go down too far that rabbit hole. We've actually talked about that a little bit on this program. But there, you know, from from listening to you talk, Brian, I mean, they're not getting the tax hit up front when they exchange. 
They, they now are diversified. They passively own. They increase their income. And if they hold it until one of the spouses die, they, they, they really, under current law anyway, of, of completely avoid any capital gains exposure. Yeah, all the depreciation they took on their apartment, all the new depreciation on the DSTs, all the capital gains evaporate permanently in my state, which is a community property state uh, by law anyway, uh, upon the first death. So, yeah, that, uh, they accomplished, he accomplished everything he wanted to do uh, using the, the Delaware Accessory Trust. Now, Brian, are these publicly traded real estate trusts, REITs, and what is the difference in a public REIT and a private tree? Can you walk our listeners through that? Yes. So this is completely separate from that, but a publicly traded REIT, you can buy like a stock, and they're typically very large, and a publicly traded REIT, uh, they collect money, then they go out and buy stuff. And a lot of the stuff that you're, when you invest in it, you're a part owner in whatever their portfolio is. A lot of their portfolios, though, were purchased years and years ago, a lot of the assets in them. So I'm not a big, I don't typically use publicly traded REITs just because whatever was popular 20 years ago, maybe shopping centers and office buildings and so forth, uh, I don't want anything to do with and so I prefer uh, private non-traded REITs, which are, are more sniper-like. Uh, you know, if I want, uh, net, you know, Amazon lease facilities or I want rental houses that have really high uh, rental income relative to how much we're paying for them, or if I want particular areas of the countries or whatever, I can get more precise in my investing to specify exactly the kind of real estate I want in this post-COVID world using a private non-traded REIT. But even those, you know, aren't a DST. A DST is the only way I can get out of the, uh, you know, the taxable gain when I sell my real estate and do a 1031 exchange. So that's just taking and putting a wrapper around the REIT is a good way to look at essentially it. Essentially, yeah, essentially they're a small private REIT that happens to qualify for 1031 exchange because they have the DST label. Okay, gotcha. Um, is there, are there any transparency issues there, Brian, uh, you know, with it not being publicly traded? Could there be more danger areas that you could get into if you're not vetting properly? Well, yeah, it is real estate, so you do need it vetted, and that's something that we spend a lot of time doing, making sure that we have the best real estate. Now, the the trouble with public traded REITs is, you know, you could have real estate that's doing fine, and stock market uh, maybe uh, has a, a terrible month. The real estate might go along with it, whereas the private non-traded REITs and DSTs tend to be non-correlated to the stock market and to publicly traded REITs. So when we saw the big drop with the public traded REITs uh, during COVID, in the early time, it was huge. They aren't very liquid and so forth. So it's kind of, you know, they got really whipsawed. I did not see that with my DSTs and my private non-traded REITs. In fact, my favorite one went up in value uh, during a post-COVID appraisal. And so it's it's a very different kind of way of getting into real estate, a little more, uh, you know, be a lot more nimble and, like I said, just uh, more sniper-like to get exactly what you want, and especially now that, uh, you know, type of real estate that's doing well has kind of changed over this last year. 
We're visiting with Brian Evans here on More Living with Jim Brogan and talking about real estate investment. He's uh, one of the top real estate uh, really experts in the country and has really been a leader in our industry in terms of these DSTs, these Delaware Statutory Trusts. When we come back, what about people, Brian, that, that don't, they're, they're not necessarily a landlord. They don't have this issue of getting out of a property with, with preserving the capital gains without getting this big exposure to taxes. Uh, but, you know, should they be looking at different types of real estate opportunities as, an, as a fundamental asset class in their financial plan? So we'll have that when we come back. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. for listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. If you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again, visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in to News Talk 98.7 WOKI this morning. As we've been talking about real estate investing with Brian Evans, he's a, really a national leader when it comes to what he just talked about, Delaware Statutory Trust, which provides tremendous tax benefits for getting out of real estate uh, and stop being a landlord. Now, Brian, I do want to just briefly, for those that aren't landlords but are looking at real estate as an asset class, because there are plenty of opportunities to passively invest in real estate, which you've covered many of those today. Can you talk to us about what you feel is the importance of real estate as an asset class in a comprehensive financial plan? Yeah, so uh, one one comment, though, on the DSTs, uh, somebody might be wondering, how do I get into one? And the only way you can get into one is through a financial advisor, so give Jim a call. That's that's my answer on DSTs. If you want to learn more about that, uh, if you uh, the the way that I, I talked about passive real estate using private non traded real estate investment trusts, which is my preferred method of doing that, I have those whether they're retirement accounts or non retirement accounts, and so we can use IRA money to do those. And what I like about them is they are a growth asset, and they uh, but they provide really good cash flow too. And that's, again, for my retired clients, uh, they want cash flow. And you can't get it through a a laddered bond portfolio these days. Uh, You can't get much cash flow uh, doing it that way. So things have changed. So there's not a lot of ways you can get really good cash flow. You can get it through, you know, uh, maybe a fixed index annuity, a real estate investment trust, a fixed index universal life policy. These are ways to provide cash flow in retirement. So I, I use it for a number of methods, but one is kind of as a bond substitute. Well, and two things there that I'll just kind of add to that, Brian, is it it is an alternative asset class, as you said, that's not that really much correlated to the U.S. stock market. So it adds more diversification. Mm -hmm. And stock values are pretty high right now. Bond values are the highest they've ever been. So real estate is just another way to invest for growth where you're not in, because that traditional approach to stocks and bonds could be kind of dangerous in this interest rate environment. Absolutely, you know, you know. I remember when the 
you know, money markets were paying five and a half percent not that long ago, and and now you know, ten year treasuries what point point six five or whatever it is, uh, you're not going to get through retirement at point six five percent. So you got to find uh, the rules have changed on us. Uh, bonds really are have. the biggest investment class in the world. You know, they're bigger than stocks. All stocks combined. So we we got to know that and and kind of make a make a decision to do it a different way. Brian, just in about 20 or 30 seconds here, I know you've published a, a book, The Little Red Book of Passive Real Estate Investing. How can our listeners get a hold of that book? Uh, they should just contact your office, and then uh, I'll, I'll certainly uh, provide you. I've got Kiplinger articles. I've got all kinds of stuff I've written and recorded on that, links that we can do. So I would suggest they go directly to your website and contact you, and, and uh, then they have access because uh, we work together. So you can go to, thank you, Brian. Well, you can go to broganfinancial.com. You can email us. You can call us at 862-6800, and we can get you whatever information you, you, you would like to, to have about with follow-up about these REITs and Delaware Statutory Trusts and everything. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. I hate that we're out of time, but thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. I hope you invite me back sometime. Yes, I absolutely will. That's Brian Evans, one of the top uh, real estate experts really in the country. Today we discuss greater wealth because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you for tuning in. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.